Uh, so the last week I've been asking people, like, instead of asking, how are you doing? I've been asking, uh, like, how's your joy? Right? Because that's, that's a little bit different. Not like, how are you doing? But how's your, how's your joy level? And what I'm finding is this is, a, this is a challenging time of year for a lot of people when it comes to joy. Like some people are, you know, like, oh, it's the weather, right? It gets like the sun sets at 2.15, I think. And then it's like pitch black and, you know, there's the rain and the wind. And I don't know, a lot of people, I think, feel like me. Like, I'm, I'm like, the rain, that's okay. The cold, it's okay. The wind, ugh. Um, but for some people, it's like, yeah, it's just a struggle right now. And, you know, for some people, it's the holidays. A lot of people struggle during the holidays. It's just stressful. And there's so much stuff to do. Again, maybe it's your to-do list. Maybe it's kind of getting big. Maybe it's stressing you out. And it's, it's kind of hard to be happy and be filled with joy right now. For some people, it's probably school and uh, work. Maybe it's a relationship, an issue that you're dealing with. Maybe some kind of loss. And I, again, I find sometimes perspective is, is difficult to maintain when it comes to, when it comes to joy. Because I find sometimes just, a, just one thing can really mess it up. Like for me, um, a couple weeks ago it was, well, well I, was, I was in a meeting and my phone buzzed, it was my wife, and so I, I looked at it and she sent me a text and it said, um, something hit the garage door. That was the text. So I was like, you know, I texted back, well, I mean, was it a cat? Was it a cow? Is there like... <clears throat> meat in our driveway like what like she texts back I don't know it was really loud so I'm in so I'm trying to like I'm actually I'm in a deacon meeting so I have my phone under the table I'm like well you know did you go outside did you yeah I went outside I couldn't see anything and so I'm sitting in the meeting I'm trying to concentrate but all I can think about is like what hit the garage door you know and and what's going on and so I'm theorizing and trying to think about it and and uh, then I had this idea in my head. I'm like, oh man, I know, what it, I know what it was. So I wrote back, was it really loud? She's like, yeah, it sounded like, a, like something hit it really big like a, or like a gunshot. And I thought, oh, it's, you know, it's one of the high tension springs. You ever heard one of those things break? It's loud. So I'm thinking, oh, it's one of the high tension springs. So I'm, I'm sitting there in the meeting and I'm thinking about it. I'm like, oh man. So we have, we have two garage doors. And, um, and I know those garage doors really well because uh, I installed them about 18, 19 years ago. That was the first mistake. Um, but I installed them at the time. I, you know, it saved us lots of money and I'm, I'm so handy. And so I was going to put those doors in, which I did. And we've been using them. And, but so I was thinking to myself, well, I'm not putting a new tension. By, those things are tricky. And so I'm going to have to have a, you know, a repair guy come out and do that. And Oh, you know, that's going to be expensive. Then I, then I started to think to myself, oh man, no, I know what's going to happen. And so I, I'm like, the guy's going to come out. I'm going to call a guy. He's going to come out, look, and he's going to look at the spring and see it's broken. But then he's going to look at my doors. So here's the thing about my garage doors. My, let's see, how can I put this? My family has fully embraced our garage doors with their cars. Um, they, both of our garage doors have a nice bow to them because they've been hit multiple times and, I, and it, they've been backed into and I've always known I'm going to have to replace the doors but I thought 
I'll wait until my family are done running into the doors. Like I'll give them six months. Now we'll replace the garage doors, right? But that's, that's not what's happening. So then I thought, oh, you know, it's going to be super expensive to replace those doors. And so now for a week, because I'm, all I can think about for a week is I don't, I'm not thinking about the blessings. I'm not, all I think about is those garage doors and I got to get a, get a, get a bid and it's going to be expensive and, and all that kind of stuff. And I'm just totally, now here's where I didn't go. Here's where I didn't go in my perspective. I didn't think to myself, well, at least I have two garage doors and one of them still works. I didn't do that. I was like, well, you know, at least, hey, at least we have garage doors, right? At least we have a garage. I could have gone there, right? No, I'm like, well, I have a garage door. It doesn't work. Instead of like, well, I have a, I have a garage and, and we have cars. We, we have four cars. We have cars and we can park them. We park our cars in our garage. Well, when we can open the door, we do, right? And sometimes even when we can't. Like we can put, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't thinking like, I have a garage that's attached to a house. I have a house, right? And it, with, a, with a roof that doesn't leak, I got, uh, we've got warmth in the house. We have, you know, we have natural gas in the house. Um, you know about that. We've got, uh, we have food, you know, we could sleep. I didn't go to any of those places, right? It was just such a first world thing, isn't it? Oh, my garage doors. I can't open one of my doors. And so for a week, instead of like being thankful that I have a garage, being thankful that I have a house, being thankful that I have a place for my family, I'm just kind of discouraged and struggling with this. And if you're like that, if you're here today and you're like, well, I'm doing okay, but where's the joy? Our passage today is on joy. And we're going to dive right in. We are in the Gospel of Luke. We have made our way to chapter 10. We're in verse 17. So last week Jesus sent out 72, two by two, to go into villages and towns and to prepare the way for him to come. Now they're coming back. And we're going to talk about four reasons, four reasons to rejoice today. And the first one is this, diving right in. We rejoice because Jesus wins. So let's talk about that in verse 17. Now the 72 return. So 72 go out. Remember, he's like, don't take any money. Just go into a town, share Jesus, live with whoever, you know, and if the food's not good, don't worry about it. Just be with them and then come back. So they come back. The 72 returned with, notice, with joy. So they come back and they are excited, right? They're, they were sent out as lambs, as sheep amongst the wolves, right? They're like, what's going to happen to us? But they come back with joy. And they say, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They're just, Jesus, <laughs> we cast out demons. Can you believe that? Remember, a few weeks earlier, we talked about them not being able to do it. Now they're able to do it. So they're, they're pretty excited. They're like, yeah, we went through town. We'd meet demons. We'd cast them out. We're like the boss of demons. It was really cool. And he said to them, you know, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So a little good news and bad news. First, we'll start with the bad news. The bad news is this. God has an enemy, right? So we know that, but God has an enemy and his name is Satan. And in fact, we see this, if we go back to Genesis chapter 3, we see that God had created a world. He had created it. It was, it was perfect. It was good. But there was this being named Satan. And we don't know, sometime in eternity past, God had created angels. Satan was one of those angels. Uh, we think possibly the, the highest angel there was. He was created in, in perfection. But at some point, the Bible says that he became proud. He became proud. And, and in his pride, he decided he didn't want to worship God anymore. He decided he didn't want to submit to God. He, he didn't want to glorify God. He wanted glory for himself. 
Kind of sounds like a lot of people today don't want to worship God, don't want to honor God. If, if glory is going to be involved, they want it for themselves. So he rebelled against God, and we're not really told much about that. My guess is it was a pretty quick and decisive battle, and in that battle, Satan and those demons who followed him, a third of the angels, were cast out of heaven. God was like, there's more to the story, but for now, boom, you're out, and they're out. And Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, and now the battle has been brought down, we're told, to earth. And in Genesis chapter 3, we see it, we see it play out. In fact, that's kind of the, the bad news is that, that God has an enemy. The, maybe the worst news is he's our enemy too, right? Satan, he's not just at war with God, he's at war with us. He wants to take us down, and, and I don't know, sometimes I find that we don't factor Satan into our lives. So when something bad happens, sometimes I'll, people say to me, like, I don't know why God did that. I don't know why God does those kind of things. I don't know why he did that to me. It, you're not looking at the whole equation. There's Satan, and he wants to deceive you, and he wants to accuse you before God, which probably isn't hard for him to do. Uh, he wants to tempt you. He wants to lead you astray. He wants to rob you of a relationship with God and re- rob you of the joy that comes from that. So the bad news is God has an enemy. The worst news is we have an enemy, but there's good news. And Jesus tells us that here. He says the good news is that he's defeated Satan. Jesus says, I was there in eternity past when Satan was cast out of heaven. And it was, you know, it's pretty dramatic. It was like falling like lightning from heaven. So that's, that's good news. And then the, the really good news is this, that Satan comes down to earth to, to wage a battle and, and Jesus comes down after him, right? Jesus comes down and says, I'm not just going to fight this battle from up there. I'm going to come down and deal with the devil face to face. So Jesus comes down, part of the Trinity comes down and, and engages in that battle for us. So that's really good news. And then we could say there's really, really good news. And that is that Jesus is ultimately going to go to the cross. And uh, that's a little, little ways forward in the gospel of Luke, but he's going to go to the cross and there he's going to defeat Satan, defeat sin and defeat death, and then kind of even more good news, if you will, he says that if we are in Christ, he gives us authority over demons. So this is kind of a big deal in verse 19. He says, behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents. Again, that's kind of a, I think a throwback to Genesis 3. So he's picturing maybe Satan here and and demons and scorpions and and over all the power of the enemy. So he's talking spiritually here. I'm going to give you power over the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. I'll give you power, right? You don't have to be afraid. And you speak to them and they will have to listen to you. How many of you are like, well, that's pretty cool because no one listens to me, right? (laughs) My kids don't listen to me. My cat doesn't listen to me. But demons will listen to me. And he says, yeah, that's right. And when you come across a demon in someone's life, Jesus says, you can order them to leave. So that's pretty cool. And the the 72 come back and they're like, wow, Jesus, this this is amazing stuff. And then Jesus says, actually, there's something even, even better than that. That's number two. We rejoice because, first of all, Jesus wins, but secondly, because he says, we're in. We're in. So let's talk about that in verse 20. He says this, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. So, you know, they're like, wait, what do you mean? This is really cool, Jesus. You know, we go out, find a demon, cast him out. Who doesn't think that's cool? And then he says, hey, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice. Here's why you rejoice. Rejoice that your names are written in, where? Heaven. 
right? He says rejoice because you made the list. Do you ever feel like you're one of those people who never makes the list, right? Like, were you the kid at recess when they were picking teams for kickball and you were always like the last person picked? Or was that just me? Um, like you maybe you, you, you applied for a college that you didn't get into. You applied for a scholarship you didn't get. You Maybe you asked someone out and you didn't make their list. You know, you applied for a job you didn't get. Like the only list you're really on is like email spam and you don't you know how you got on that list. You get lots of that. Jesus says, hey, if you place your faith in Christ, he says, you're on my list. You're on my list. What does that mean? That's a list of people who get eternal life in heaven. That's pretty good. He says, you could get excited about that. That's the list of people who were loved by God, who were forgiven of their sin, uh, who God heals, people who are adopted into the family of God, people who are blessed. He just says this, if you know Christ, here's a great reason to rejoice. Rejoice because you're in. Rejoice because your name is written in the book of life. Rejoice because you're going to heaven. Jesus says, you should rejoice. And when he says that, he's not like, you should rejoice, you know. He's like, you should rejoice. You should get excited. That's something to get excited about. So we rejoice because we're in. And then he says this, we rejoice because, third thing, because we know the Father. He goes on in verse 21 and he says this. Now in that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. Let me just mention this. It says here that Jesus rejoiced. So he tells them to rejoice. But now here's something that you won't see anywhere else in the earthly life of Christ. This is the only time in the earthly life of Christ that it says that Jesus rejoiced. The only time. This is it. So we would want to step back and say, wow, this is, so there's something unique here. Jesus is excited. Jesus is joyous. At, right? It says, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and he said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. So there's a whole lot of stuff here and we're gonna only unpack a part of it, but Jesus is joyous. That is, Jesus is excited. Like, was he like, hand up, hands up? I don't know, was his voice raised? Was he excited? Was he singing? I don't know, it says he was rejoicing. And not just that he was rejoicing, he was rejoicing in the Holy Spirit. In other words, he wasn't rejoicing in his circumstances, nor was he letting his circumstances keep him from rejoicing. So again, think about the context. Jesus is going to Jerusalem and he knows what's coming. He knows that in Jerusalem he will be betrayed. He knows that he will be, he will be arrested, um, that he will be tortured, that he will be nailed to a cross where he will suffer and he will die, where he will carry the sins of the world. He knows all of this stuff is coming in the next six-ish months. He knows this. This is very clear to him. Let me ask you, how, what does your attitude tend to be like when you know something's coming this afternoon or tomorrow or next week or next month that, that's just really, that, that's hard, that's difficult, that, that's just huge? Like, do you tend to let that just kill your joy today? Not Jesus. I love the fact that he's just, he's rejoicing in the Holy Spirit. In verse 22, it says, he says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one who knows the Son, no one knows the Son except the Father. Or who the Father is except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. 
So this is kind of an interesting passage. You have the whole Trinity here. Jesus is rejoicing in the Holy Spirit and he's talking to the Father. And this idea of Father, by the way, is pretty, this is pretty revolutionary. So today when we hear Jesus talk about the Father, we don't tend to make much of that. But back then, this is a big deal because the Jews of that day didn't, they didn't refer to God as Father for all sorts of reasons. One reason was it was just considered too intimate. It was considered too presumptuous. It was considered too bold to talk about God as your Father. If you did that, people would be like, it's kind of casual. It's a little too casual in terms of your relationship with God. But when Jesus talks to us about about God, he says things like, when you pray, pray our what? Our Father who art in heaven. Jesus encourages us to think about God as our Father. <clears throat> so think about this. Like for those of you who are parents, right? Think about how much you love your kids. Just, just to think about that for a minute. How much you love them. <laughs> I had a chat yesterday in the afternoon, right? So Gary and I were over at Starbucks, right? We're having some, some coffee. Well, I was. He, was. he was drinking tea. But we were, so we were, we were talking and, and uh, we got to talking about our kids, right? And we're talking and there was like, so neither one of us said it, but there was this awkward moment because I was talking about my daughter, talking about Nina, and I was saying, you know, I'm, I, this, is, this is really a challenging time for me right now in my life because I feel like my whole relationship with my daughter, uh, who's 17, is um, I'm spending a lot of time with her and all of it is preparing so that she'll leave home next year, go away to college, and not need me, so to speak, like she does now. And I was, we're kind of talking about how challenging and difficult that is. There was this time in our conversation where Gary's like, so we're going to be having this conversation again in 15 years, right? And I'm like, yeah. And it was just really quiet for a minute, like neither one of us said anything because we love our kids. And for those of you who are parents, you know what I mean? You love your kids. But even the best parent among us, even the best, has only a fraction of the affection for their kids that God has for us. And for for those of us who are parents, we know that we're not perfect. We know that we have issues. We wish that we could do it better. But we have a father who loves us infinitely more than we will ever love our kids. And this father is perfect. So Jesus reminds us we have a father in heaven who loves us and we can call him father. We should rejoice in that. That should be encouraging to us. Now, of course, today, you know, we live in a day and age with new age spirituality and a lot of times people talk about God as a force, right? But, but Jesus says God is not a force. He is our father. He's personal. He loves us. He's involved. He's intimate in our lives. And then he says something really astounding. He says, no one knows the son except the father. So he's speaking to the disciples that have been with him for two and a half years. And these guys are probably thinking they know Jesus really, really, really well. Maybe in the same way that some of us feel like we know Jesus really well. And yet Jesus says to them, there's... When you think about what you know about me, here's what you need to know. There's so much more. There, Jesus says there's so much more to me that you don't know. But he says, no one really knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. Now, he doesn't say no one knows there is a God because Scripture makes it clear we all know there's a God just by looking around at the world that God has created. But what he's saying here is no one knows God intimately. No one knows the Father's heart and the Father's ways, and the Father's love, and the Father's words, apart from Jesus Christ. No one knows that. And 
You know, today I talk to people all the time who say things like, well, I don't believe in Jesus, but I'm a very spiritual person. And I'm sure God will be good with that. I'm, I'm, I'm very sincere about what I believe. I'm very open-minded. But Jesus says, you cannot connect to God. You cannot know the Father apart from the Son. You can't do it. Like, can you imagine saying that today to, you know, like, how people would react at, how would that make like the Dalai Lama feel, right? How would Oprah feel if you said, well, you know, you can't, I, you, I, know, I understand you're spiritual and all that, but, but apart from the Son, you cannot know God the Father. It's all about Jesus, right? When you know Jesus, you know the Father. If you don't know Jesus, you cannot know the Father. But if you know him, you know the Father, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And this is a great great reason for rejoicing because when we know Christ, we know God, we know the Father. And he talks here about how God revealed this to, to those who are like little children, who have this attitude. Now, not people that are simplistic, but people who have simple faith, who come to God in a simple way. And I, and I love that idea because children are kind of like that. You know, it's like children have a way of enjoying the good things in life and yeah, there's some bad things. So yeah, the garage door doesn't open, but look, there's something shiny in the driveway. And I'll, you know, kids are kind of like that. There's, yeah, there's tough stuff, but kids still enjoy the good things in life. And, I, and they're able to celebrate and, and they don't allow one bad thing to ruin their day or ruin their joy. And I think as adults, we kind of, we lose part of that. Like, they enjoy things in a way that adults don't. And I think as we grow older, it feels like, you know, we just complicate things as adults. You ever reach that point where you're like, you know, I want to rejoice. I, I want to have joy. I know that I could choose that, but, but the garage door won't open, you know, or, or but she said something that was mean, or, or I, you know, I got I that thing I have to do tomorrow, or there's the, you know, there's this thing I don't want to really deal with, and, and how many times as adults have we had something right in front of us that's, that's so, it, God wants us to enjoy it, God wants us to get into it, but we're just like, yeah, well, like, I got, I got this other thing, and we, we, we rob ourselves of the joy that's right in front of us. And Jesus says, you need to have faith that's more like a, a child. See, a child just says, you know, I know there's that thing, but I trust God. So I'm going to enjoy the good thing in front of me and trust God with the thing that's not. I'm not going to let that thing that, that may or may not happen ruin my joy. I'm going to trust God. And then I think as adults, we get, so we complicate things and then it's all so I, I said this last night, and it got really awkward in here. I was like, you know, um, I think even as adults, sometimes we feel like we're breaking in, we're, we're, on, the, we're on the verge of joy, <laughs> we're on the verge of rejoicing, but we're adults. We're so dignified, right? Like, sometimes I see this, sometimes I'm in the back, or if I'm leading worship, and you could see people like, they're on the verge of joy, they're ready to, they're really ready to enter in. And maybe you could kind of see a hand going, you know, like there's hand. What do you do with your hands? So there may be a hand or a hand. And then I can watch it. Oh, wait, there's, what will people think? If I raise my hands, what will they think? 
they'll think I'm a Baptocostal or, you know, who, like what's, wait, you know, if I raise my hands, if I shout, if I shout amen, what will people think, you know? Oh no, like, if, I, if I clap, if I, if I shed a tear, if I got down on my knees and worshiped God, what, what would people think? And I, I kind of understand that I'm, I'm somewhat introverted. I'm not like painfully shy, but I'm, I'm somewhat, I tend to gravitate towards, I love to study, I, I like to read books, I like to think about things, I love to meditate on scripture, and we all need those things. We all need that study and that time in the Word. Here's, here's the thing. It should never stop there. And sometimes we think that we read our Bible, we listen to a sermon, we take some notes, and we're done. And I think we're missing so much that God has for us. It's not just about here, although it is, but it's not just about this. God wants to work it out. God wants it to come out of us. So if, so if, you know, we're listening to a sermon and somebody says, hey, you know, Jesus is alive and, and the Spirit's like, yeah, that's kind of cool. Like, you don't have to suppress it. Like, oh no, there's an amen coming out. You know, I, what's going to have my hands going up? Squee to stop. No, it's okay to rejoice. It's okay to shed a tear. It's okay to say amen. It's okay to raise your voice. It's okay to get excited. In fact, here's what I would say. It's not just okay to get excited and rejoice. It's just, it's reasonable. To say amen, to raise a hand, to get excited is not like extra spirituality. It's just, it's just reasonable. It's what a reasonable person would do when they realize Jesus died for them. When they realize their sins have been forgiven. When they realize that they're going to heaven. When they realize these things. It's just reasonable to be excited about that. Jesus says, if you know the Father, you should rejoice in that. You should rejoice that you know God the Father. If you know the Son, you should get excited about that. If you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you, that's a great thing. You should celebrate that. If you're saved, if you're loved, if you have eternal life, if you're going to heaven, you can get excited. So what if you're a Baptocostal? It's okay. God will still let you in. And number four, We rejoice because the king has come. That's the context, verse 23. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately. So there's a huge group of people, but he takes the 12 aside and he says this. Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see. Elijah desired to see what you see. David desired to see what you see. Moses Oh, Moses would have loved to have seen what you've seen. You think Moses would have thought it was cool if he saw me walk in water? You think Elijah would have thought it was cool if he saw me feed 5,000 with, you know, a Lunchable? You think, yeah, they didn't get to see any of that stuff, but you, you get to see it. They didn't see it. They didn't hear what you heard. They didn't get to hear that. Jesus just says, what you guys have been seeing, what you guys have been witnessing is a really big deal and I'm not sure that you get it. Not sure it's really processing here. He says, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For thousands of years, prophets were foretelling through the Holy Spirit of a coming Messiah, of Emmanuel, of God with us. We're getting ready to celebrate that at Christmas time. It's like history for us, but for them, they were like, wait, that's almost fantastical. What, you mean God's going to come to earth? 
You mean God's going to be born of a virgin? Wait, how's that going to work? You know, what's it going to, well, what's it going to look like? And, 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 and what's God going to, you know, what's he going to look like? What, what color is his hair going to be? What's his, what's the color of his eyes? What, what's it going to look like when he talks? What's it going to sound like? And they're, you know, he's like, you guys get to see all that stuff. You've seen demons cast out. You've seen, seen me give sight to the blind and raise the dead. You've all seen that. Jesus' point is this. He says, I'm a king with a kingdom. And that kingdom is, is coming upon you. It's, it's coming into the world at this very moment. He's saying, that's why demons obeyed you. Because I'm a king with a kingdom. So that's why people are getting healed and getting saved. And Jesus says, you guys have a front row seat to this. You have a front row seat. So pay attention. Open your eyes. Look at what God's doing. Think about it. Process it. Tell other people and rejoice in it. I think sometimes that's just missing in our lives. I think it's missing from the disciples. They're not processing. They're not noticing. And I think Jesus would say the same thing to us today. Do you have any idea of the things you're seeing and the things you're hearing that people for centuries would have loved to have seen and heard, but you get to see it. But I'm not sure that you're getting it. I'm not sure you're processing this. People are getting saved, folks. People are experiencing the love of God. We get to see God answer prayer. We get to see how God is spreading the gospel. I had a chance after the service last night to spend a few minutes with a 20-year-old who's just gone through some awful stuff over the last few months dealing with kind of demon oppression and all that kind of stuff. And, and many people in this church have surrounded this guy and prayed for this guy. And we sat there last night and he just hugged me. He said, you know, if it wasn't for God and how he worked through this church, I don't think I'd even be alive tonight. See, these are the kind of things that God is doing. We have countless reasons to rejoice, countless. And if we're not rejoicing, if we don't walk around filled with joy, even if the garage door isn't opening today, it's because I think we're not, we're not paying attention. We need to pay attention. We need to process. So let me encourage you. I want to close with this. Several ways to increase the joy in your life. This is very practical. Nothing new here. The first is this. So how do we get there? If you're here today and you're like, I don't really have a lot of joy in my life right now. I don't really feel like I'm rejoicing. Number one, you need to get in the word. This is really where it starts. Here's kind of the mechanics of how it works. The Bible says... The Bible tells us that the way we got the Bible is the Holy Spirit throughout history would, would come down and he would, he would inspire men to write down the words of God and record them so that we would have them today. So the Bible basically came from the Holy Spirit. They're the words of, of God. They're the, it's the words of the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit in you. So what happens is when you open a Bible or when you hear preaching on the Bible, the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you takes those words. He says, hey, those are pretty good words, right? Like he says, I wrote those. <laughs> and he takes those spiritual words and he brings them to life in your heart, into your head. And it brings joy into your life. And I think sometimes one of the very basic reasons we're missing joy in our life is because we're missing the word. It starts with getting the word of God into our heart and getting it into our life on a daily basis. These are words inspired by the Spirit. So number one, spend some more time in the word of God. Here's the second thing if you want to increase joy. 
you may need to deal with sin. So the way this works is when, when we come to Christ, we have this relationship with the Father. When we sin, sin becomes like a, a barrier between us and God. We still belong to God, but the, the, the joy of God begins to get, it gets between us and God. So the Holy Spirit, one of his ministries is he convicts you of sin, right? So when you're like, when you feel convicted, at, that's the Holy Spirit. And where a lot of times we find it annoying, really we should thank God that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. Because when he convicts us of our sin, then it gives us a way to get that joy back, that intimacy with God back. So when we feel convicted of sin, instead of fighting it, we should embrace it and repent. The word repent simply means to turn around. So why do we fight it? Why don't we just repent of our sin so that we can enter back into the joy of the Holy Spirit? So again, it's a gift. And I, maybe you're here this morning and, and you, know, you don't want to hear this, but there's something you need to repent of. And you've been, you've been ignoring it and you've been putting it off. And, but God's like, you should just do it. I know it may seem hard, but there's such a great joy on the other side. So what do you need to repent of? Here's the, here's the third thing. To use the gifts that God gives you. So the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit gives every believer some, we call them spiritual gifts. Uh, some people have the gift of administration or encouragement or teaching or counseling. Or, and so we have grow group leaders who use their spiritual gifts. We have musicians. But the purpose of a spiritual gift, it says, is to serve other people in the body of Christ. And when you use your gift, joy is unleashed. I, so I can tell you for me, um, I find joy in my life when I'm preaching the word of God. I find great joy because it's a gift that comes from God. When I spend time shepherding, when I spend time leading worship, these are things that bring great joy in my life and it, it's from the Holy Spirit of God. And I, I, I don't understand sometimes, I have conversations, I've had conversations with adults and this has gone on for years where they'll say, you know, I'm, I feel kind of bored in my relationship with God and I'm really lacking joy and I'll be like, well, where are you serving? Like I already know the answer, but where are you serving? Where are you unleashing the joy? Where do you get to go out Use your gifts and see God produce fruit so you can rejoice in that. Ah, well, you know, I'm going to. And what I find is going to doesn't get you there. It doesn't get you joy. You find joy when you use your gifts. And there's, there's great, and if you're here and you've used your gifts and experienced that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's no other joy like serving people. Can I get an amen from anyone? There you go. And if you don't know what that's like, well, now you know why. So get involved using your gift. Here's a fourth thing. Fourth, rejoice in the joy of others. So scripture says just rejoice with those who rejoice. That's what Jesus is doing here, right? Think about it again. Like I can almost imagine Jesus is sitting there. Maybe he's in prayer. He's thinking about Jerusalem. He's thinking about the crucifixion. He's thinking about the betrayal and the pain. And the 72 come up and they're like, woohoo, Jesus, we just cast out demons. And I love how Jesus just is able to stop and enter into their joy. See that? He enters into their, he's like, wait, you cast out demons? Nice going, right? Way to go. Hey, your name is written in heaven. Way to go. And he just, he enters into their joy. He doesn't let what's coming for him stop him from doing that. Again, I find that we are surrounded by people all day long who God is working in their life, 
We need to enter into the joy of our kids, enter into the joy of our parents, enter into the joy of our neighbors, enter into the people in this room with us. And there's great joy that is unleashed. And here's the last one. We need to be people who recognize what God is doing. So that's what Jesus says to the disciples. I don't know that you really get this. And I think he would say that to us today. Sometimes we are people just, we are just surrounded in the blessings of God. And I just think about the irony sometimes. We're just almost swimming in the, in the grace and the, in, in the blessings of God and we don't even enjoy it. What can be done for us in that time? God's done everything he's going to do. He blessed you, but you have to make the decision to enter into it to enjoy it. I told you before about a practice we had years ago called God sightings where we just send people away each weekend saying, saying, so now as you go out into the world this week, as you go into your house and go to work, go to school, look for God. Look for God because I guarantee you he's there. Look for miracles because I guarantee you he's doing them. Look for answer prayer because I can tell you that he's doing it. Look for God working. He's doing it. He's working. The only question is, do you see it? So go looking for God. And when you see God work, Write it down. Thank him for it. Think a little bit about it and share it with someone. Great joy is released when we do that. So, and I mentioned this on Wednesday night at seven o'clock. We're gathering in here and uh, we're gonna take some time and do just that. We're gonna sing to God. We're gonna share God's tidings. We're gonna pass around a microphone and give people a chance to share about what they've seen God do. And we're gonna spend an evening just rejoicing and being thankful together as a family. And I want to encourage you to do that. So, Jesus is heading to Jerusalem where he's going to be betrayed, where he's going to be tortured, where he's going to be crucified. And yet, he grabs onto this moment of joy. You guys can cast out demons? Awesome. Your name is written in heaven? Yeah. Let's celebrate that. Let me pray for us.